0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Merry Christmas! Hope you had a good Christmas with your family. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. If you do not have a Bible, then if you put your hand up, one of the ushers will get a Bible to you. So don't be shy. Just put your hand up and they'll give that to you. And if you don't own a Bible, you can, uh, you can keep that. And what goes to your mind or what feeling do you experience when you hear the word Father? What do you experience? What's the feeling you experience when you hear the word Father? Some people, when they hear the word Father, they feel fear. They feel fear. Because their father was mean. Their father was a bully. When their father showed up, it was trouble. It wasn't going to go good for anyone. And so they feel a sense of fear. Some people, they feel joy. When they hear the word father, they feel joy. They had a good, they had a great dad. Their dad showed up for things. Their dad was at their games. Their dad were at their recitals or whatever it is. Their their dad was there. Their dad taught them about Jesus. Their dad taught them how to do things. And so there's a sense of joy. There's a sense of love that they feel when they hear the word father as they think of their dad. Some people feel anger and frustration when they hear that word. Because their dad ignored them. For their dad, it was, it was about the game. For, for their dad, it was about getting some more work done. It was just constantly ignoring them or ignoring their mother or ignoring their siblings. And they're just, they're, there's anger and there's frustration because they just kind of wanted their dad's attention. They just, they just wanted a bit of his time, but he was too busy uh, to pay attention to their, their kids. So there's this anger and frustration that's there. And some people hear the word father, and there's a feeling of longing. And this is my category. There's a sense of longing there because they didn't have a father. Their dad left. Or they didn't even get to meet their dad. And so there's this real sense of longing because they just want to know what it is to have your, do- your dad excited about something that you have done. To have your dad look at you and say, hey, I'm really proud of you as you did that. So there's this real longing there. There's even difficulty for them to see other kids with their father. It's hard for them. So there's this real longing that takes place within the heart. And there's all these feelings. And Jesus, he tells this story in Luke chapter 15 that Luke uh, records for us. And in this story, Jesus paints a couple pictures for us, a few pictures. But the, the one picture that comes out the most clear is what a good father looks like. He shows us what a good, and tells us what a good father looks like. And this is the father that everyone can have. It's just a matter of how we respond. This is the father that all of us can have. And so, again, it's Luke chapter 15. And we're just going to uh, jump right in and, and look at the first picture that Jesus paints for us. And, and this is it. It's the picture of life away from the father. This is the picture of life away from the father. Luke 15, verse So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. So this young son, he comes to his dad and he says, that inheritance, that piece of property that is coming to me, I want it. So he asks for his inheritance. Now to do this is essentially to say to your father, I wish you were dead. That's what he's saying here. I wish you were dead. I, you don't get an inheritance until your parents have uh, passed away. And so his dad's still alive. So to ask for it now, he's saying to his father, I wish you were dead. And doing this exposes that this guy is very selfish and that he lacks wisdom. He's very selfish and he lacks Wisdom, And so the father gives it to him, Luke tells us. He divides it between them. And then after he gets it, Luke says he gathered all he had and left. Now that phrase, to gather all uh, that he had in the Greek, means to take the property and actually turn it into cash. So he gathers the, the, the piece of property and then he sells it off. And now he's, he's off. On his journey, he's off to, on his quest of freedom and fulfillment. I'm getting away from my father as quick as possible. But the money doesn't last long. Luke says he squanders it in reckless living. As soon as he gets it, sells it off and takes off. And then Luke says it's gone in a moment. He squanders it in reckless living. He, blow, he, he blows all the money. And then a famine hits he didn't see that coming. Then a famine hits, and Luke says he began to be in need. And so he has to find work. His situation's desperate. He is in need. And so now he's got to go look for work, and he gets a job. He gets a job feeding pigs. And for a Jewish person, that's the worst possible job to take. Because Jewish people in, at, at this point... Don't want to be anywhere near pigs. So for him to take this job is actually a small picture into how desperate his situation is. That he would stoop this low and take this job. And here's another picture into how desperate his situation is. It says, he longed to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. He's so desperate that he wants to eat pig slop. He's feeding these pigs and he's looking at what they're eating and he's thinking, I'd like that. He has no, no money, no food. His situation is desperate. He thought that if he could just get away from his father, that he would have all kinds of joy, that his life would be fulfilled, he would be experiencing freedom. But this isn't freedom. This isn't joy. What you see is somebody in a desperate situation. What you see is someone who is in misery. And isn't this the lie that you and I buy? That if I could just get away from God, that if I could just get away from Him and all of His rules and all and this church business and just do my own thing, I will be free and my life will be filled with joy. I'll be as happy as as I can be if I could just get away from God. It's never like that, though, is it? We run from God, and what do we actually get? We end up with broken relationships. We end up with sexual sin that leads to all kinds of regret. We look at things and we can't believe that we, we, we fell into that or walked into that. So we, there's the broken relationships. There's, the, uh, there's the, the longing to be a back home. He thought he was going to get a joy. Now he's experiencing misery. Broken relationships Addiction, sexual immorality. That's what we get when we walk away from the Lord. It's not freedom. You may be sitting here right now and you're thinking, oh, this God thing, I'm not doing it. And I'm as happy as can be. It might feel like freedom for a minute. Or a week. Or a year. But then it changes. And it stops feeling that way. And it's pain and suffering. See, walking away from the Lord only leads to slavery and misery. That's what happens. That's what our experience is you will not find lasting joy away from the presence of God. You will find it when you stay in the presence of God and believe by faith that he will give you the joy that you are seeking. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, you make, uh, make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you want joy and satisfaction in your life, don't run from God. Run to God. It says at his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. All the things that you need, not all the things you want, all the things that you need, that we need in our life, is at the right hand of God. And so we don't have to run from him. We run to him. It says there's pleasures forevermore. That's the picture of life away from God. There's misery and pain. There's suffering. It's not joy. That's the first picture that Jesus paints for us. Here's the the second picture that he paints. The picture of true repentance. The picture of true repentance. Verse 17 says, But when he came to himself, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. So Luke tells us that... He came to himself, meaning he snapped out of it. He came to his senses. See, difficult situations have a way of uh, waking us up. Difficult situations just have a way of waking us up. It's the friend who can't see that they're a really terrible friend. And that the way they gossip and talk behind their friend's back, uh, it makes them a terrible friend. They can't see that, though, until it's Christmas and it's New Year's and there's no friends anywhere. It's just them by themselves. And then they wake up. They wake up to the reality of the kind of person that they're being. It's the student who can't see that they have terrible work habits. And terrible study habits. And that they're wasting their parents' money or the government government's money, you know, O-Trap, until until the grades come in. And then... And then they wake up to the reality that they're on the verge of of failing out of school. And they wake up to the fact that they're a terrible student and that something needs to change. It's the man who has terrible eating habits and who refuses to exercise in any way, shape, or form. And he doesn't wake up to the reality of of his health uh, situation until he he, uh, meets with the doctor who looks at him and says, based on the way you live, based on the way you eat... There's some problems here. There's some real health issues, and some things need to change. And you don't wake up until the difficult situations hit. Difficult things wake us up, and the difficulty that this son is in wakes him up to his reality, and he begins to repent. Now, some people here think that this isn't the start of true repentance. They think that the son, this young son, younger son, is just afraid of starving. And so they think it's just a pragmatic thing. He just doesn't want to starve to death. And so he's headed home for that reason. But this is the start of true repentance. And it's what uh, the clue is in what he plans to say. Verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He plans to acknowledge his sin. He plans to acknowledge that he has sinned against his father, but he also uh, uh, plans to acknowledge, ultimately, who the sin is against. He says, I have sinned against heaven. He understands that uh, that God commands us to honor our father and mother and that in what he has done, he he hasn't done that. And so he plans to acknowledge that his sin ultimately is against God. You know you're beginning to repent if this is the first step that you're taking. When you acknowledge that my sin is against God. When I'm at home and I'm, I'm harsh maybe with Kim or with the boys or something like that, that sin, before it's against Kim and before it's against my boys, it's against God first. All sin is against God before it's against anyone else. And he plans to acknowledge that. This is what David acknowledged when he sinned. Psalm 51 verse 4, David says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Our sin is against God first before it's against anybody else. And the first step in true biblical repentance is to acknowledge that. That's the first step. Here are some others. When you acknowledge that you're not worthy, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He gets it. I'm no longer worthy to be even in your presence. I'm coming, but I know that I don't even deserve to be welcomed back here. You acknowledge that you're not worthy when you don't blame anybody else for your sin when you don't blame anyone else for your sin. He doesn't say, hey, all the young sons were asking their dad for their inheritance and so that's why I did it. He doesn't say, I had a few friends who pressured me into doing this and sinning against you. He says, I have sinned, me, not somebody else. This person didn't cause me to do it. It wasn't because of this situation that I responded like this or reacted like this. I have sinned. I'm the one who's responsible. When you acknowledge that, you are you are truly starting to repent uh, when you're willing to accept whatever consequences come. He says, treat me as one of your hired servants. He doesn't care what he gets when he gets home. He just wants to be home. He says, treat me as one of your hired servants. He's willing to accept whatever consequences come to him from walking away from his father. And this last one, when you take action Luke says he arose and he came to his father. The repentance wouldn't be complete if he doesn't get up and go home. But he does get up. He does head home. And all of us, all of us need to be like the younger brother in this way and repent like this when we have sinned. This is how we're called to repent because every single one of us at different times have sinned against the Lord. Some of us are willfully doing that right now. But all of us can turn and receive the forgiveness that is available. God even calls us to return uh, to him. Isaiah 55 verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Think about that. For he will abundantly pardon. There's forgiveness available to us when we we truly repent. Not when we have this worldly sorrow where we're afraid of, I just don't want to get caught for this thing. But when there's a deep sense that I've wronged God, that I'm not worthy to be near God. When we repent like that, when we, when we repent biblically, there's forgiveness available. And all we've got to do is turn. Turn and come home. And we will receive it. So now we've seen the picture of life away from God. The picture of a true repentance. And now we get the picture, point number three, of a good Father, the picture of a good father. Verse 20. And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, this my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. So the young, young son, he, he comes to himself and he gets up and he heads home. And just picture him on that path, and he, he turns on the path. And Luke says, when his dad sees him, he takes off running at him. He's, he's probably walking up the road, not, not probably, he's walking up the road, no shoes on, he's a total train wreck. And his dad, it's, it says he feels compassion, and he runs to him. Now you've got to understand, for a man, uh, an older man in this time, it was actually shameful for him to run. It was a shameful thing for an older man to get up and run. They're just supposed to sort of walk in real dignified ways. And they wore these long uh, robes, these long garments, so it means that in order for him to run, he would have to sort of wrap the garment up, you know, his chicken legs would have been exposed, and he would have been sort of down the road, maybe his undergarments would have been exposed, but he, he willingly embraces the shame to go meet his son. He runs to him, he feels compassion on him, he sprints towards him, he doesn't care what anybody thinks, he's not concerned about how he looks, he goes to him, he's willing to suffer humiliation. It says he felt compassion. He embraced him. He kissed him. The kiss, the kiss was a, a sign that he had forgiven his son. When he kisses his son, he's telling him, I've forgiven you. I'm welcoming you home. I'm just, I'm just excited for you to be here. This father was, had clearly been sort of watching and praying and hoping for his son's return. And when he comes, he sprints towards him. Now, notice what the father doesn't do. Notice that he doesn't give him the classic, I told you so speech. Don't you feel this, a temptation sometimes when somebody messes up around you just to drop it on them? You know, they mess up and you go, "Uh mm-hmm. Right? Didn't I tell you this is how it was going to go? Didn't I warn you that it was going to be like this? And just kick them while they're down. And all you're doing in those moments is just throwing a little bit more salt in the wound. The father doesn't do that. There's compassion. He welcomes him back. See, when people mess up around us and when they're repenting, this way, When there's true biblical repentance taking place, they don't need us to load on more guilt on top of them. They're already dealing with enough shame. There's already enough suffering taking place. What they need is compassion. What they need is an embrace. What they need is to be welcomed back into the family. They need grace extended to them. This is, the, this is what the father does to his son. He doesn't throw salt in the wound. He loves him. He kisses him. He welcomes him home. The father showers grace and compassion, love on his son. He doesn't even let him finish his planned speech. Look at verse 21. and, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. He just cuts him off. He starts talking and that just cuts him right off. Bring quickly uh, the best robe and put, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring a fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. The best robe and, 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 and ring was a, was a sign of uh, the son's position and authority being restored uh, uh, to him. Uh, putting shoes on his feet marked him as a free man, that he's not a slave. It was fully welcoming him back. Killing a fattened calf was the father telling him, hey, we've killed the biggest calf that we got here. And so tell everybody around that there's about to be a party. And tell them to come because my son is home. He welcomes him back as a son. See, when he was in the, when he was in the, the far country, he could get nothing. Nothing. He said he had nothing when he was out there. And now he's home. And he has everything. The the fulfillment, the joy, the pleasure that he was seeking, he's getting it all from his father. It was all at his father's right hand. He didn't have to run away. He had it. It was right there. And so everything that he goes seeking after, it's right there with his father. And the father willingly, lovingly gives it all uh, to him as he Repents. He got everything back from the one he had hurt. That's so bad. And this is meant to show the uh, the the heart of God the Father towards us. This is how He treats. Uh, see, God the Father, he, God in heaven loves to welcome sinners. He loves to have us home. He loves to shower more grace on us than we were expecting and more grace on us than we truly deserve. Uh, Phil Riken sums up really well uh, what is uh, taking place here. He says, this is the love that God has for lost sinners. It is a love that is running to receive you even before you have a full chance to repent. A love that wraps its arms around you even when you have been wallowing in the pigsty of sin. When you have been wallowing in the pigsty of sin, God runs to you when you turn to him. And he wraps his arms around you and he welcomes you home. And so maybe you're here today and you think, the sins I've committed... The, the place that I'm in right now, currently, I can't turn back to God. I can't come home. Well, this passage is showing you that you can. That you can turn. That there is this level of love for you if you repent. Revelation 22, verse 17 says, The, the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the, the one who is thirsty, Come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. It's a calling us home. And so you need to know and hear that you can turn. You can turn to the Father who loves you so much and wants you with him. And maybe you're here and you have repented. You have turned. Then the word to you is you need to understand that you have a Father that's this good. And not forget that, that he would shower this much grace on you, that he would would continue to give you more and more and more grace, more than you deserve and more than you were expecting. And so because of that grace, because of that love, our lives now should be ones that are lived for God, out of gratitude to him for what he has done. That he's taken messed up, flawed people and he's rescued them. And continues to extend grace to them. And so now we serve the Lord. But we don't serve because we're trying to earn his love. He loves us. We serve now out of gratitude and thankfulness because of how good he is. This is the kind of father that we have. And this is the kind of father that every single person needs. So we got the picture of life away from God, the picture of repentance, the picture of a good father, and this last one, the picture of self-righteousness. The picture of self-righteousness. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to his house he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant and he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed a fattened calf because he had received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many days I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, and yet you, gave, uh, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? And he said to, and he said to him, Son... You are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this bro- this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he was found. So Luke says the older, he introduces us to the older brother who is in the field. And Luke says he comes home and as he heads home he hears a, a party going on. And a servant explains to him what's going on. Verse 27, he said, And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. So the servant tells him, your brother is back. He is safe. This is a good thing. That's why you're hearing the dancing and the music. See, the older brother, he came and he drew near. He drew near to the house. The same way the sinners and tax collectors in verse 1 of this chapter, of chapter 15, are drawing near to Jesus. He draws near. But he responds like the Pharisees in verse 2. In verse 2, we're told that they're angry, that they grumble. And it tells us he grumbled. He refused to go in. He refuses to join the party, which actually shames his father. He He won't go in. But watch what the father does. It says he went out and he entreated him. That means to gently plead with your son to come inside. The father is shamed here, but he still goes out to him. Now, he didn't have to do this. He could have left him outside. He's out there whining and complaining. He didn't have to go to him. He could have even sent a servant. He's like, you know the, the spoiled brat on the front, the patch of dirt out there? Tell him to come in here. He could have done that, but he doesn't. He goes himself. The same way he humbled himself by running to his son, his younger son. He humbles himself now and goes out to his younger son and pleads with him to come inside. But he refuses to come in. He complains. And his complaint reveals who he truly is. Verse 29, he answered his father. He says, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who had devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? See, it reveals that he thinks he has nothing to repent of. He says, I've never disobeyed any of your commands. I'm perfect. He thinks he has nothing to repent of. He thinks he deserves his father's love and his brother uh, does not. He's expecting a payment. He, he, uh, he hates his brother. Don't you notice he doesn't even acknowledge that he's his brother? He says, this son of yours. And how many times did the, the servant said your brother? The father says your brother. Everybody's telling him, it's your brother. But he won't acknowledge that. He hates his brother. And it also reveals that he's not that different than his brother. You notice what he wants? The payment he wants is a young goat, and he wants it to celebrate with his friends. He's not like, I want this goat, I worked this hard so that we could have a party with you, dad. He's like, I want the goat that you, you, that you never gave me so I can take that and I can walk away from you and have a party next, on the next field, you know, next to this house. He doesn't want to be with his father. He's not different than his older brother that he is so, a younger brother, sorry, that he's so, so angry with. He's lost, he's self-righteous. He refused to reconcile even though his dad calls him to that. He sees himself as a slave and not, of a, not, of a, not a son. He's like, I'm working. You should have paid me. He rejected his father's joy and he couldn't celebrate that grace had been given to somebody else. He couldn't celebrate grace that was extended because he didn't realize or see how much grace he had been Given It was impossible for him to celebrate grace because he, he didn't think he needed it. See, one of the ways that you can know that you are self-righteous is by looking at the way you respond when somebody receives grace that you were not expecting to get it. One of the ways you can know for sure that you are a self-righteous person is by how you respond when somebody gets grace. Do you celebrate? See, I've been here. I've been in this spot 2 years ago there was somebody in my life and God extended grace his common grace to this person and I was mad I was mad for an entire day and I found myself saying he doesn't love you he doesn't even he doesn't go to church I go to church I read my bible I pray I'm good I talk to people I smile I shake their hand I do all of these things. I'm a good boy. I keep all the commands. And you give that to him and look how long I've been praying for this particular thing and I don't have it yet. What's your problem? I was angry, but I was self-righteous. I'd forgotten that I didn't deserve grace and I probably was missing all of the grace that God had already shown me in my life. And so the question for you is, Who's the person in your life? Who's the person that if they were to get grace extended to them, who, who is it for you that it would just eat you up inside? It would just bother you to see that person getting grace from God. It would just hurt. If there's a person, if there's someone, it's a good sign that there's some self-righteousness going on in your heart. See, self-righteous people always feel like they never get treated as well as they deserve. Self-righteous people, they push away people like the younger brother. They push away those reckless brothers. And they do it because they're arrogant, they're proud, and they're judgmental. And so so younger brothers don't want to be anywhere near them. They want nothing to do with them. Because the whole time they just feel like they're being looked down on. Never forgetting that we constantly need grace, that we've been given lots of grace. Never forgetting, remembering that will push self-righteousness out of our hearts. And so now even with all his complaining, the father continues to encourage him to come inside. Look at verse 31. He said, and he said to him, son, he says, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he was found. He calls him son and then he tells him it was fitting to celebrate. What the father's doing here is he's reminding him of his place in the family. He's like, you're a son. Everything that I have is yours. All that is mine is yours. You're my son. He's he's trying to tell him, I love you. Again, come on inside. And he says to him, it's fitting that we do this. What he's saying is that this is the right thing to do. When your brother is, re- the way he's repenting, this is the right move. This is, this is what's supposed to happen when there's this level of repentance in someone's life. He's encouraging him to come inside. And so the story ends without the, a response from the son. We don't know how this older son responds. We don't know if he ever obeys his father and comes inside, but we do know that Jesus, he obeyed his father. We do know that the the firstborn, he, he, he obeyed his father and he left his father. Much like the younger son, Jesus leaves his father, but he doesn't leave his father because he hates him. He leaves his father because he loves him. Jesus doesn't cling and hold on to his father's riches and property and, and run, runs off into a far country. Jesus sets his father's riches and his property aside, and he comes, and he comes for us. He walks away from his father because he loves his father, and he loves us. See, uh, these two brothers, they represent us. See, some of us read this, and we know right away who we are. We read it, and we see it, and we know I'm the, we're the reckless brother. I've lived that life, I've squandered it all, and I'm in pain, and I'm in suffering, and we know that is me. And some of us, we read this, and when we're honest with ourselves, we know we're the self-righteous brother. Some of us know we're the lawbreaker, and some of us know when we're honest that we are the law keepers. We are those judgmental people who look down on other people who aren't quite living up to our standards or our level of obedience. And just like both of these brothers need to be saved, you and I need to be saved. And so Jesus doesn't avoid the responsibility to come and to mediate, to step in in our broken relationship between us and our father. He comes. He steps in for us. See, Jesus does what the older brothers should have done. See, when the younger son comes and says, I want my inheritance, takes it and walks away, the older brother is supposed to actually step in and say, hey, 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 let's try, to like, let's try to work this out. Let's try to stay home. But notice, he doesn't say anything. He's silent. He takes his property just the same. It says he divided it between them. He doesn't mediate. But Jesus, he's not silent. He steps in. He mediates for us. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 says, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. All of us have sinned against the Lord. All of us fit into one of these two categories. But Jesus, he comes and he lives and he dies for us on the cross. He rescues us. He mediates. He works out this broken relationship that's happened between us and our father. So that when we believe that when we trust in what Jesus has done on the cross, you and I, we can be free. We can be free from the lie that joy and pleasure is found away from God. We can be free from that lie. We can be free, free to be able to celebrate and rejoice with our Father when somebody gets grace who we're not expecting to get it. We can be free from self-righteousness because we realize how much grace we have been given and continue, continue to get each day. But this only happens when you and I, come in from the far country, and when we come in from the fields, when we come back to our Father who loves us so much. And Jesus makes that possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ. God, thank you for this story that we could see your heart for us. We could see the love that you have for us, and the, the way you welcome us back when we repent. God, thank you for your Son who is so willing, who didn't stay silent, who comes, who lives and dies on the cross for us, who mediates for us, who gives his life for those who are running from you, for, uh, for, the, for us sinful people who think that life is better without you. Lord, thank you for him that when we trust in him, we can remember what is true, that you are a very good father and that the best thing for us is to be with you and to be, with, be in your presence and to trust you that all the pleasures, that all the joy that we want, that we're longing for, we will receive from you in your good timing according to your plan and purpose for our life. So God, thank you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario For more information about our church or to contact us please visit harvestbrampton.ca